the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 397. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Philip Whitmore. Philip, great to have you back on the show. It's good to be back, Paul. Now, maybe you can remind listeners where you fit into this big, wide world of technology here in New Zealand. Sure. Look, um, look I feel old these days. I'm a partner at KPMG, which is one of the, the big consulting companies, and I head up our cybersecurity consulting team. So we do everything from hacking into your systems before the bad guys do to designing security into your systems to get the bad guys away. Pretty cool stuff, actually. It must be fun. It is fun, yeah. I've been doing it for 20 years now. Um, every day is exciting, and every day is different. Cool. Well, we'll try and uh, prize one or, one or two secret stories out of you uh, during the episode. But uh, to start with, we'll do our usual and jump into some of the uh, uh, some of the new news of the week. Um, first up, I wanted to talk a little bit about Air New Zealand's onboard Wi-Fi. This is something that impacts a, a lot of us who who travel. And look, we've talked about it a few times on the on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Um, for for a number of reasons, you know, one there was the initial announcement, and then there were some non-public trials, which um, somebody that we we know was able to get on and, and try it out, and then they did a sort of a soft launch where they hadn't, hadn't made any public announcement, but it became available in flight. Now they're sort of moving into the just being broadly available publicly type phase, and. Couple, couple of, I guess, pretty key bits of information. One, they seem to have settled on the price. So you've got, uh, you've got a free option for ten minutes if you're if you're on a flight with Wi-Fi. So you can just give it a go and work out: oh, is this useful? Or I'm just about to land. I need to check some details for accommodation booking or something, uh, which is nice. They've got a um, hmm, now. Now I'm forgetting the uh, the price. They've got a, a price point for I think an, an hour's worth of uh, usage. Maybe that's uh, ten dollars. And then depending on the length of your flight for a sh- the shorter haul flights, uh, I think it's about fifteen dollars. Uh, and for the longer haul flights, about twenty five dollars. So it's interesting because I mean I do one hundred and twenty odd flights a year. What do I use it though? I, I don't know. When I mean, they did have a plane domestically, I think about a couple of years ago, where you could get the Wi-Fi on board, and I did. And that stage was, you know, pricing was completely different. But it's nice to switch off for even if it's just forty-five minutes, an hour, an hour and a half. That longest flight in New Zealand. Mm. I don't know if I really need it. Internationally, though, it would be of interest. So my brother yeah. hopped on a flight earlier in the week. Um, and was using it all the way between here in the US. Okay. Um, and he loved it. Fantastic. Um, and his wife probably appreciated him doing that rather than talking to her. Because um, <laughs> we haven't got the domestic sort of side of it here in New Zealand yet, although it's very common in, in some parts of the world. Yeah, I'll be in the US next week, and you know, I had a look for the main, the longer, the longer flights within the US. I've got Wi-Fi. Uh, there's some shorter, shorter ones, and uh, some two-hour. Uh, one to two hour flights, and those are on much smaller planes. They don't have any Wi-Fi. Of course, in New Zealand, we don't have any even two hour flights, right? Yeah, look, look, it's good. Um, I probably what I want to do though, if I want to start stream video, I'm sure I can't. Well, no, that's the inter- that's the interesting bit okay. here. So, um, one of the the big the big bits of news, none of the media, sort of mainstream media, of um, you know covered this in fact they've, they've been behind uh, travel talk which is a site that i'm involved with uh and picking up most of the info on this but 
the speed when we did the initial uh, tests uh, earlier on, uh, we're getting around two megabits, which was a, a cap, artificial speed cap that yeah. they're actually putting on it. The most recent uh, speeds that we're seeing are between 15 and 25 megabits. That's plenty fast on board. Enough. So very, very good performance. And uh, I'll be doing a little bit more testing if my if my flight uh, this this weekend up to San Francisco has uh, has Wi-Fi on board. But um, I'm. I'm getting some interesting feedback on the sorts of things you can do. Now, there's certain things that are blocked, uh, and they're, you know they're able to block things. So let's say you get on board, you think, oh, let's watch some Netflix. They will let you do a level of YouTube. Uh, Netflix, my understanding is if you've pre-downloaded stuff, you can fire up the app, but if you go looking to stream new stuff, then they they limit that. And so hence, you know, because of what they're limiting – the the opportunity for people to actually use up all that all the bandwidth that's available uh, is probably a lot harder yeah. because people uh, you know are reason are, are limited on some of those things that would be bandwidth hogs. I think I'd still use it internationally. There's so much you can watch the movies for, yeah. and it's like in New Zealand, great choice of movies, great entertainment system, but I want something new some stage, mm. or I want the sports results, or you know, I, yeah. Yeah, it's so, great that it's caught up because hmm. previously it was slow, it was expensive, and it just really wasn't that practical. Well, yeah, I was on uh, some Emirates flights earlier on in the year, and look, some of the speed tests on those, you're struggling to get one megabits at times, and you know, probably peaking at maybe two and a half megabits. So this is this is something like ten times that that speed. Uh, so you know it's it's really good, and of course these things come down to timing of when Air New Zealand's jumped on board, the satellites that are available, where they're flying, and yeah, this will develop over time. But right now they've got absolutely stunning internet in terms of what's what's available on on board planes. There's uh, you know very few other options at this type of speed anywhere in the world. I've got four international flights in the next six weeks. So I'm going to open my eyes and wait, look out for it. Look, look forward to hearing your reports back. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, new MacBook uh, Pros were announced uh, last week. And when we, when we talk about the, the products from Apple and also from the, the, the Windows side with Microsoft and their products, often we seem to be getting into this point of... Um, Looking in and being able to point the finger at, the, at at Apple, for instance, and say, "Well, you know, your chips are a bit out of date. You're selling out of date stuff here, and uh, it's not good." But when it comes to the the latest MacBook Pros, uh, which have, have just 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 literally just uh, launched in you know last um, you know couple of days. These are high spec machines, so they're thirteen and fifteen inch machines. You're up to uh, up to thirty two gigs of RAM and uh, some some very zippy. I think up to i nine uh, processors with six cores. Now, probably for the everyday sort of use, this is way more than than you need, right? But in terms of uh, some of the, some of the use cases that we would uh, use around the office and some of our guerrilla clients would use. Uh, having six cores, being able to do video editing and so on on uh, on a MacBook is, um, is is pretty enticing. It's interesting because 
It looks the same as the current ones. So I can't get excited to buy it. And I like my Apple products, except I've never really used Macs too much. Looks the same, just has more grunt. Do I need more grunt? I don't know. And saying that, when I have, the choice has been pretty limited what I get. Do I get to go get an Alienware laptop that's the size of a small house? Yes. Works incredibly well. Looks a bit different too, which is kind of cool. Or do I get something that's a bit more, I guess, traditional? Mm, um, mm. Look, I, I think there are people, those traditional users of Macs, you know, video design, graphic design, or you know, anything that's high, uh, needs to be hyper throughput. Mm, mm. I can see them being interested, but you know, do you get hooked into that cycle? Cared. You know, it's been what I don't know, twelve months, eighteen months since the tw- twenty seventeen came out. Now the twenty eighteen comes out. Do I have to save up by twenty nineteen one? It's like me and my iPhones. I'm a bit worried. But um, look, it, it's interesting. There's always a need for more. Why? You don't know. You know, There's probably no need, but you know, there will be people out there who, who will pounce on it. Uh, there's probably a little bit of criticism. You know, some people the 2017 didn't like the, the keyboards. Some people said they're a bit dodgy. It's the same keyboard. Um, well, it's like, no, they've slightly tweaked the keyboards. So... Um, Different there, there, there are there, there, there are yeah there are some concerns that they maybe haven't fully addressed all of the yeah. all of the issues because it's not a it's not a complete keyboard change but there were keyboard issues and uh, you know they've offered extend they extended people's warranties to address those who had uh, you know had keyboard faults uh, but there yeah there was, uh, some of the commentary has yeah sort of suggested. Like mm, not so sure about the keyboard. Um, I'm awaiting the new MacBook um, Pro to ar- arrive uh, in the next day or so. So look, I'm looking, you know, forward to trying them out. I personally didn't have uh, didn't have too much of an issue uh, keyboard wise with uh, with last last year's model. Um, but you know, I think yeah, different people have have different preferences and feelings on these things they they uh, do and i think maybe people get a little bit picky at times but you know people have different needs but you're up preferences yeah um it's interesting keyboards have become a very popular item you know know, if i go back 10 years ago the the concept of a gaming keyboard let alone a million different types of gaming keyboards didn't exist um look I, i think you know the people who like macs will go for it um hopefully it's not too many parents have their their children saying i need one because it's new well, some of these are pretty uh, pretty pricey too, right? Yeah. When you're getting up into the into the top end um, specs, then yeah, these are they're, they're certainly not in the in the toy category. Put it no, that way. No. Uh, and for the higher end specs, you do have to go with the bigger one, the 15, 15 inch model, but um, still very capable thirteen inch uh, models as well. Yeah, look, it to me thirteen inch, fifteen inch isn't much really. You know, I'm not going to save that much space. Well, that much weight, but having a slightly smaller one. I quite like the smaller size, personally. Oh, I don't. Yeah, maybe I'm getting always, old. Maybe I need to lean on the, screen the smaller ones and then plug into a big, massive screen. <laughs> so I currently got a 17-inch laptop, and that's a bit big. But, um, yeah, yeah. Well, and look, last week we were talking about the USB-C you know, monitors with a full docking capability. Um, so I'll be you know checking out whether the, the monitors that we've got are going to provide enough juice. There may, there may be some issues with the higher-end ones that some of these docking monitors you know just don't provide enough juice so that that'll be interesting to uh, to see as as well because you know that becomes the the next challenge if you've got to throw you know if you've say bought a monitor to go with a you know a current uh, macbook pro and then you've got to uh, you've got to replace that to match your new macbook pro to give it enough uh, throughput uh, but hope, hopefully there's no issue there they're, anyway. they're getting there the, the compatibility universal compatibility is getting there i mean i run my lenovo off a of macbook pro 
um, power adapter. Yeah. Because it's smaller and it's nicer. And I can swap the plugs in and out quite easy for travelling overseas. So you know, and you can and you can charge a phone on the same uh, on the same uh, power as well yep. if you've got a, a USB C phone. It's pretty handy, isn't it? Um, now, other news: um, Z, ZTE or ZTE, as they get called uh, in America. We spoke about them, uh, you know, some time back. Basically, getting uh, the US export banned, so basically they couldn't buy anything out of the US, and uh, their company was falling to pieces. Well, Donald Trump got involved, and uh, look, they're now back in business. And then the latest uh, news article today is that their stock is. Uh, uh, is jumping so uh, yeah if you're a fan of any of the ZTE uh, you know tech they're a Chinese company make you know a lot of telecommunications gear and and uh, smartphones haven't seen you know too much exciting from them probably in the in the New Zealand market but yeah very interesting on the political front how uh, Donald Trump sort of you know jumped in and said oh this is costing too many uh, uh, too many jobs in China which sounded like a very strange thing for for Trump to be saying um but you know we 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 we're kind of uh, you, know, you you get used to being surprised with some of uh, you know some of Trump's approaches um so look that this is this is really interesting to me because Yes, they've they've enabled the trading again, but they've put some incredibly strict rules around ZTE. If they if they break the rules again, around I think they've had to put something like half a billion US and, into a fund, uh, as well as a you know a pile of, of of fines and then restrictions. Which means if they break the rules again, then they're going to get banned for I think it's a decade. Uh, so look, they've been given a second chance. They, you know, ignored the the warnings the first time around, and uh, yeah, that's it's. I guess it, it's up to them whether they want to uh, play ball again. Yeah, look, it'll be interesting. I mean, ZT does some really nice kit. You know, and there's some position to Huawei as well. Mm. Um, and you know, and is it because the US worries about China? I don't know. In this case, they're saying, well, ZTE had staff that were exporting stuff to North Korea. And you know, and ZZ didn't get rid of them and didn't do pay the fines and penalties. Therefore, got banned, um, which all seems a little bit unfair, really. And you know, it's hard, you know, if you're coming out of somewhere like China to know where that, you know, that um, differentiation between state and a private company is. Mm. But you know, if they can demonstrate it, and you see them in in um, UK having a, a separate centre demonstrating it, making their doors open, come in and look at our kit, you can. You know, test us whatever you like. You know, I think it's good. You know, you know, people make comments about Mr. Trump and, and, and his tweeting, but if you can bypass all the red tape and just make something happen um, for whatever reason, it's just quite quite effective use. Um, and, and it can't only be jobs in China; there's got to be jobs in the US and the whole you know industry market. Competition also brings innovation, which is good. You know, if you look at you know, Huawei, which you see the Huawei kit you see on a lot, and a lot of our telcos got their kit involved as well. You see some really nice kit, consumer stuff for some really cheap price. Um, you know, are they oh, any less yeah. trustworthy as ZT Huawei than anybody else? I don't know. Um, I don't worry about things too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, on the Huawei front, um, yeah, the, the latest phone, the um, uh, P twenty P twenty Pro. Yeah, been playing around with. With that on the camera front, and uh, look, really, really, really nice 
uh, especially some of the low light photography stuff. It's very cool. Now, also, I guess sort of tying in into into phones. Um, someone who we haven't talked about on the podcast for some time, uh, George Hotz, um, who interesting uh, interesting background of various uh, endeavours and. He, uh, he he got in a, a spot of bother for um, hacking um, the PlayStation Three, I yeah, think that he yeah. that he uh, as you do as he, as he, as he did. Um, I'm sure Sony didn't appreciate that. <laughs> no. Um, so now that he's he's a you know an old man at age uh, what's he 28 now. Um, his uh, his current com- company, um, Comma AI. Um, They've they've had a bit of attention over the over the last uh, you know couple of years or so since they've been around, and they've been working on um, self driving you know car tech, and but they they also got into a little bit of um, a bit of pressure from you know U.S. regulatory bodies around what they were doing. So they've they've taken this approach that they're selling the the bits and pieces and and the idea is you'll be able to add this not to any car but to the more modern sort of variants of vehicles from uh, Honda and Toyota and so on uh, that that already have some you know some sensors and, and bits and pieces built into them. So you'll be able to hook in and you basically spend about $1000 on their sort of technology kit uh, which which includes a, a smartphone uh, and then you'll use this software, which they've, they've made available open source. So you use the free software in conjunction with their uh, devices. And yeah, an interesting write-up in the in the Verge this week. So if you're interested, uh, maybe you you know you've you've got a, a, a particularly uh, new uh, Toyota, um, and you're you're curious whether this might be your way of getting into some sort of semi-autonomous or driver-assist type tech. Uh, and that is a, it's, qu- it's quite an interesting uh, quite an interesting read um, but yeah it's uh, it's a f- yeah I, I found a fa- fascinating uh, sort of coverage of you know what he's doing and trying to stay on the sort of the right side of of the law uh, the way he's sort of pointing the finger at sort of autonomous car makers and go ah it's not you know you can't really deliver full autonomous it's you know it's about having the smarts of a person plus the technology uh, but then another commentary he's he's sort of more leaning down the full autonomous uh, type type track so uh, look, he he is um, he's a very very interesting uh, chap, and uh, I think Philip, you re- you sort of re- referred to him as a, as a bit of a Elon Musk sort of type character in some ways when we were chatting before. Um, what do you what do you think of this this stuff? Would you be be tempted if it was uh, if this technology was working in New Zealand? Because I think there's some geofencing around there. They're uh, you know testing their technology uh, at the moment in some situations. That that might have even just been this this journalist environment. You know, being open source software, I imagine you can take that off. But would you be tempted to add this onto your car and, and take it for a spin? I don't think so. I mean, I, I can't get excited by driver assist. My car already has something very similar. It's called cruise control, um, and it is a glorified cruise control. Yeah, and that's okay. But that doesn't give me a lot of advantage, particularly if my drive. You know, I'm driving to work or to the shops and that so what the autonomous one however I do find interesting you know I've been in autonomous buses I've been in autonomous trains I've been in a range of autonomous vehicles in everyday life just not a car yet but there's a dilemma you know if everybody had autonomous cars fine we'd get over any problems about 
what happens to hit somebody or crossing the road or whatever it is. It is technology is not the problem. It's that moral decision about someone's just jumped out in front of me. Do I hit them? Do I not hit them? Do I do something else? Then she causes more damage. And that I think is what the challenge is. Now, given that most of this, these challenges are going through US, you know, and which is some of the most regulated and the most uh, litigious you know, countries there is, hopefully something pops out the other side that everybody can agree with. But yeah, driving assist, semi-autonomous, I, I don't know. Um, the question is why? You know, what, it's not like I can do something while I have it on. You know, they're still looking at you to look at the road. They're still wanting you to, you know, pay attention, which is you know, very well, they, valid. They want you to, but it, it seems there's plenty of cases where people aren't at the moment, and they're maybe assuming the technology is a step or two further than 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 what, is, yeah. than what it is. Although then you've got alphabet situation where they're, you know, they're saying, look, we're going to be putting these on the roads, um, you know, their, their vehicles on the road this year with nobody in the, you know, in the in the driver's seat at all. So. Uh, it is moving. It is moving forward. It is very quickly. I wouldn't want to be an Uber driver. I don't think because you know my job might be gone very soon. Um, I'm looking forward to autonomous vehicles. You I mean the autonomous bus is already in place, and that's easy because they're like a train about tracks, predetermined you know path or thereabouts. You haven't got people wandering about them. It's interesting because you know you look at just electric vehicles. It wasn't that long ago that electric vehicles didn't exist, really. Mm, not not mm. commonplace. Yeah, you couldn't yeah. just walk down the road in New Zealand and buy an electric vehicle. Now I can buy lots. Um, you know, the speed of technology of automobiles is happening really, really quickly. You know, it took a while to get hybrid cars, and then the time to get to electric vehicles shortened, and then the time for autonomous vehicles is even shorter. Look, my car can park itself. I push a button, it parks itself. That's magic to me. Yes. And that's a fantastic yeah. thing. I just want to do a little bit more. Yeah. You know, I, if I could sit in the car, even a shared car in the morning, it picks me up, I hop in it, and it gets me to work, and I'm not thinking, I'm doing whatever I want, even if it's nothing, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, it's that, um, just that next step along from, you know, the bus or, or the train journey that, uh, um, because we, you know, you add the public tra- transport in, where you, you, you're getting most, you know, most of that. Uh, but for a lot of people, it ends up being at least twice as long for the for the journey. And so, if, you know, if they can get that that closer, even if there is, um, you know, I, I, for for me certainly, um, yeah, more than happy with you know public transport. But it's it's sometimes just takes too too long. So if they can sort of fill in those gaps with autonomous Correct. vehicles and whatnot, then so, so no, no time to catch a feeder bus into the main bus route and that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, we're going to keep talking about this stuff because it, it is interesting and it keeps changing, so there's always more to talk about. I've started thinking more recently um, around things like electric vehicles having you know, probably less mechanical types of uh, challenges and issues. So, you know, there are going to be some, some you know, flow-ons in terms of uh, you know, jobs that exist today that will be different or you know, re- reduced in the future. Yeah. Down the good track, thing is... One, one of many tracks, I Good guess. New Zealand companies involved in autonomous vehicles. We tend to think these things happen offshore by you know, countries that we're not in, and they're happening right here. I think sometimes we forget how big our tech industry is because often we're not marketing that technology to New Zealand. But if you go somewhere like Christchurch or Hamilton or here in Auckland... All around the country, some fantastic, including autonomous vehicles. Mm, mm. That's a good, good point. 
now, another bit of news, and I had, didn't actually see this reported in, in New Zealand. Um, and, you know, maybe it has been, I may, may have missed it, but um, is that there is some quite innovative technology that has um, um, come out recently, and it's it's in testing. I'm just trying to find the name of the New Zealand company that's uh, uh, that's in, involved. Um, but this uh, technology, I've got the name here, uh, Medipix, and... Um, it's being uh, being commercialized by a company called uh, Mars uh, Bioimaging, and there's tie-ins with um, University of Canterbury and University of of Otago. Uh, but this takes something that we've been very used to for a long time and improves on it. So we're used to X-rays being, you know, they haven't really changed for a very long time. Uh, but this is is a technology that will effectively deliver what will will look like a 3D colour sort of X-ray. Yeah. Um, seem, seems pretty cool, right? It is, it is pretty interesting because you're right. You go, the, go to the doctor, you get an X-ray, you get that sort of black and white thing and they can somehow squint their eyes to see something. That's existed for a long time. Yet, if I go to the airport, I put my baggage through the X-ray machines there and it pops up different colours based upon is it an organic material, about its density and that. This seems like a, hype, a, a souped-up version of that. Mm, basically, mm. it can measure density of different objects, i.e. parts of your body, uh, in a lot more granularity and a lot more finer resolution. Therefore, giving that image, and then you determine what it is, you can colour it you know, based upon what it is. It's got to be helpful, mm. you know, because um, anything that can make you know, the medical industry easier can help diagnose problems quicker and easier. It's got to be good. And you would think, yeah, you would you would think. I mean, this would be an incredibly valuable uh, thing if if uh, if it can be commercialised here in New Zealand first. The um, the the ideas and and things that have sort of sparked the this possibility uh, come out of uh, research at uh, CERN's uh, Large Hadron uh, Collider in in Europe, and you know that's very well known. The boson um, Higgs particle, yeah, the the Higgs boson. Uh, particle yeah. discovery there so uh yeah really interesting and it's you know another, just another you know example of some great work that's going on uh in in new zealand and the you know, science and, and technology sector yeah i think somehow we need to wave our flag a little bit more like i said before lots of tech companies here but we don't hear about it which is a shame because mm. um, that's pretty that's pretty fascinating yeah now um we elon got his uh has has already had his mention in this episode uh, very very briefly but we should come back on it because we talked about elon musk uh last week and you know what he was doing with this uh, little tube potentially to help with the the, the rescue in uh, the caves in, in thailand and of course you know all good outcomes from that but there's been some very interesting stuff in the media over the last uh, last couple of couple of days, and and some of it not not uh, really putting Elon Musk in a in a particularly good light with some of his uh, some of his words. So you know, we've, I think I you know commented on well, you know, uh, s- s- some people might not be so uh, so positive about uh, what what he was uh, doing there in in Thailand. And yeah, maybe would would suggest it was a bit of a PR uh, PR type uh, uh, exercise. And 
look, whether you know whatever uh, his intentions and and whether uh, this uh, uh, capsule that uh, that him and his team had come up with would or wouldn't have been uh, useful. It was uh, yeah, it was a bit surprising some of the comments he made in the in the media about one of the rescuers. Yeah, look, uh, I think a bit, a bit unfortunate. I'm sure he regrets it. Um, but we we all in the heat of the moment, you know, you know, he, he was probably quite focused on doing that, quite serious about you know for whatever reason. Mm. And then when someone said it was you know which would have never worked, that probably wound him up a fair bit. And that's the problem when when the ability to communicate on mass is in your pocket. Um, yeah, people make mistakes at times. Oh, absolutely. And look, there, there, there's this aspect of once you get in the public light, as as the few other people at that same level as as Elon, and you know he's someone who has generally been held in very you know very high uh, esteem and and you know well looked up to. Uh, yeah, I think people are looking out for him to make a mistake, but everybody makes mistakes, right? Yeah. It's just this reality of. Of uh, of being human, but already you know read people saying they're you know cancelling orders of uh, Tesla Model Threes and things like that. So yeah, th- I guess that's the nature. On you know one side, every time he sends a tweet, it generates X million dollars worth of positive PR and stuff. Well, most times, and on the flip side, you know you get something wrong, then it can have a negative impact, right? And that's the nature of social media and and the way that technology enables super fast. And um, yeah, very transparent communications. And it's got to be hard when you know distinguish between the company and the person. Are they separate things? Are they the same thing? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Twitter, particularly in the last year or so, how people can make some interesting comments. And you know, you, you see one person in the media all the time making really quite negative comments. Doesn't seem to do him any harm much. Um, that's true. That's true. Um, and and look, yeah, that, that sort of where 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 is the line? Is is Elon tweeting for himself for businesses? How does that work? Well, when you talk to Tesla, it's very interesting. Their their PR people say, "Oh, look, you know, don't quote me on you know things and so on." And then you'll ask them a particular question, and their answer will be, "Well." Well, Elon tweeted, you know, X, Y, Z, or Elon's tweet said such and such. Uh, and, you know, we've got now companies that are very locked down with communications because things spread so quickly. So, for instance, with the new uh, the new MacBooks uh, last week, I had a particular discussion with somebody at, at, at Apple, you know, about them. And, look, I didn't delve in and ask, you know, try to get too much confidential information about when did they know and so on but I, I know it's you know it's quite common with some of these announcements that they're basically their 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 staff will know virtually the same time as everybody else uh in the world within companies like you know apple and sometimes microsoft and and you know and tesla and sometimes they're finding out because of a you know, certainly with Tesla, they're finding out some news because it's come out in a tweet, and uh, that's just kind of how it works. It, it, it's interesting the, the pace of communications, or the pace that someone's brain's thinking. You know, and probably Elon Musk like that. You know, he's got a good idea. He thinks it's a fantastic idea, and you know, he's running that direction. You got to keep up. Um, look, communication and the speed of communication, the ability to communicate on mass, has got to be a positive thing. You know, it no longer have to wait for the ship to come from Europe to deliver the newspaper to say what's news in New Zealand. Um, but it causes challenges at the same time. I do remember some, you know, in, in years gone by, I would subscribe to magazines from 
from overseas, you probably remember these times too. And you know, a magazine issue might it might take a month or two to get to New Zealand from its you know its compared to the date that'll be on the shelves in the US. I'm not quite sure on that, but I'd seem to remember sometimes take quite a long time. Yeah, we could probably come by um you know sea freight for some of these uh, some of these magazines and yeah, we're quite generous we, really we, yeah. we would yeah. never cope with that uh in this day and age generally on most things because it's just it's all online first right it's the same as movies you know your big hollywood movies where we get them six months after the u.s because you're physically shipping out the reels um and probably after they've been around the movie theaters in the u.s um that doesn't seem that long time ago, and now often the movies are being released here first or the same day, and hmm. so I guess we're in luck. You know, the, the ability to communicate, it's got yeah, quickly and in different formats. Yeah, it's yeah. often it's worked worked in our favour, time zones yeah. and and the like, and then the idea of sort of a you know confidential company communication. Of course, you don't know such thing exists. You have to imagine you know anything that gets communicated could well be on Facebook or Twitter five minutes later. Indeed, yeah. yeah. So, um, Upsides and downsides. Interesting times. Um, now, before we sort of jump into professional things, I was just kind of keen to hear from you around what are the what are the gadgets and things that you're uh, you're enjoying. You're sort of into a bit of you know smart home type um, type stuff. Yeah, look, look, I never have enough time to have enough gadgets, but um, so my home is it's got all the toys. Um, I, I don't know why I need most of them, but I need to for some reason. Um, I just put in um, Alexa-enabled devices throughout the home. So I, I'd had Google ones before, and they're okay. But I'm finding the Alexa ones. So I've got Echoes from a dot to an Echo to an Echo spot. Um, and my favorite new toy just arrived in the country is the Sonos speakers, Sonos Play, which has got, you know... It's got Alexa it's built It's got in, Alexa right? built into it. Yeah. So I love that. And the great thing is, I used to find it challenging with some of the other similar assists, once I had the TV going, and if it was near that, it could no longer pick up my voice and hear me. These just work. Okay, that's um, interesting. And you know, is there really a need for it? Not yet, but I'm sure I'll find a need. Where there's just a, you know, in the morning getting up a mining ship for work and I you know, ask her what the news is, and it's playing me the news from, say, ZB or somewhere else. Yeah. Is that short thing, or, you know, what's the weather? I could open the window, but it's, you know, it's just easier. Look, it works well. And look... <laughs> Yeah, it's hooked up to the lights, but I still use the light switch. It's hooked up to this and that, but I still use it. But that- I'm using the I'm using the remote control on lights, and and, yep. and now uh, we've moved recently, and I'm I'm finding that got mostly through the app rather than uh, rather than um, voice. But I'm finding it's quite good just to black everything out because there's a whole lot of different sort of lights on, and they might be sort of dimmed down a bit, and then it's like okay, I want a completely black room, and uh, you know that's nice to to be able to do you know, from your bedside. Yeah, look, I, I just can find that needs. I mean, if I go out in the morning, drive to work, I leave my garage door open, I get probably 200 minutes down the road, it's going to tell me, and a camera switches on and it shows me. So <laughs> I've got a, a Samsung smart home hub yep. uh, linking everything together, which does everything from Zigbee to Z-Wave to Wi-Fi to Bluetooth. It's pretty good. Mm. So it's, it's interesting toys. not really a, a need yet, but regardless, I'm still playing with it. Um, I still need. I guess I, I'm still very much a get the toy, then find a need, as opposed to waiting for the need then to get a toy. Life would be a bit boring, I think. Yeah, it's part of the fun. Now, one thing um, I finally got got my head around, uh, and you know, some of the smart home stuff is 
Dyson's, um, and I'm trying to remember the the exact their exact term, but it's their uh, hot and cool air purifier, mm-hmm. and uh, it has feature. You know, it's listed as as being uh, Alexa compatible, and I couldn't get it to work. Nothing, nothing would happen. And then I read the other day, I was looking at one of the reviews, because I thought, I'm going to have another go at setting this up. And then I saw it works on, it doesn't work if you're set to Australian yeah, English. If set to US. Uh, so you've got to be on US or I think UK, but not Aust- Australian uh, voice. And this is a, this is a challenge with uh, Alexa technology in that these things don't just automatically push out across the other platforms whatever's required in the background so you end up in some regions with a really crippled uh, crippled result yeah i noticed that there was something mm. some integration i had was only available in the u.s yeah. i don't know why because it can't do with our accents because it doesn't matter what region you're on you uh, set it to u.s and it yeah. recognizes and all works fine in fact, right it picks so up kiwi accents really I think well it's probably yeah. just the apps need to be need to you know the app developer needs to tick the box and republish it sort of thing i think it's, it's probably as light as that in some cases yeah. i don't know whether it's the case with dyson uh but it's very disappointing that you know here we are maybe you know six or or more months on since uh yeah lex has been available within the yeah. the region and yeah, that's something that they don't appear to have uh, no. have have resolved, and and it's not cheap gear. I mean, the uh, you know the 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 Dyson um, you know fans are are very nice, but they're also very expensive, about a thousand dollars. So yeah, you would expect if one of their features is Alexa integration, they'd make that work in this region. Yeah, look, I'm you know, potentially the, how the distribution model is working didn't quite keep pace about. Okay, we're just selling a market in the US. Now we're selling, you know, Oceania sort of way as well. You're right, we better take that box or something. Mm. Um, It'll come, I imagine, uh, maybe. It, it will, maybe, but... Um, maybe in the next version. It's not the first. I can't remember what the other one was, but it was, yeah. what, was something I could buy in New Zealand stores that did work for Alexa, but it didn't. Yeah. Equally, I switched over to the US and I went to find, say, a Sky TV integration, and it wasn't there because it's New Zealand only. And mm. I can understand that because you're not living in New Zealand, why would you want it? Yes. Um, you know, life's changing. You know, it's, it's going back to the DVD days of regions, you know, region one, two, three, four, five, six, et cetera, and compatibility with DVD players. And again, I'm feeling old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's frustrating. All right. Now, very important that we talk about cybersecurity, um, you know, especially considering your role as heading this up for KPMG here in, in New Zealand. So, um, I thought it'd be interesting if if you've got a you know, a story you could share because oh there we go that wasn't Alexa I don't know if anybody could uh, could hear that but uh, um, such as uh, these voice assistants jumping in and disturbing our conversations um, all right so cyber security uh, an event that I was at recently there was a, a really interesting uh, cyber security uh, story shared that I hadn't heard. Uh, before and and you know often with these things a lot of the information is uh, you know is is quite secret it's not meant to be you know too broadly public but uh, there can be educational aspects of of sharing some of these situations so I wondered if you've got 
an incident because you're you know you're involved i guess in in all aspects of of cyber security you know putting the processes and and uh, systems in, in place to uh, minimize and re- reduce situations but i imagine you also get called in when there's uh, incidents and and ask for help so uh, yeah. anything that you can share yeah look certainly and look i, I think sometimes because we don't see many he- incidents new zealand based in the headlines, so there's been a few in the last couple of weeks. We tend to think that it doesn't happen here. We see the headlines out of, say, the US somewhere. We think, oh, the US must be really bad. We're okay here in New Zealand. And that's actually the completely opposite. Um, you see the headlines out of the US because if there's a privacy breach, and most most privacy breaches are sec- as a result of a security breach, in the US, all but two states require you to disclose that who's been affected. So a security breach becomes public very, very quickly. Hence the headlines. And here in New Zealand, things happen often because we are really quite immature for security. We are quite ineffective in terms of developed countries. And you know, and part of it is our Shelby rights attitude, which I had to explain to an audience in Singapore. It was Hakuna Matata was the best I could come up with. Yes. So I said Shelby right. The Aussies and the Kiwis in the audience understood it. The rest didn't have a clue. But look, we've got one recently, and it reflects, again, that, that low maturity in New Zealand. Um where we do something called threat hunting, where we proactively go into organisations and saying, have you already been breached? Or proactively try and identify uh, incidents before they come big. Um, the organisation had the best, you know, one of the best antivirus products you can get. It had filtering on its ma- email coming in. It had security awareness training about phishing, don't click this, don't click on that. Um, it had filtering, it clicked on web links and went back out. And um, the breach still happened. So the breach came in out of um, out of let's say the Middle East for want of a better place. Mm, mm. Um, and really, it didn't involve malware. The initial breach wasn't malware. It was a weaponized word file. Which the original breach was. So you know, Word, Excel, PowerPoint has a whole language built into it, um, and we use those for macros. But Visual mm. Basic is just as powerful as anything else. So it was a non-malware based. Um, attack essentially and roughly 45% of the time you know, the breaches are coming for weaponized files that we're used to dealing with Word, Excel, PDF the antivirus software is not going to detect a Word file as malicious because there's nothing about the Word file itself as malicious um, but their, their defense mechanisms were predominantly relying upon despite these you know, different layers antivirus and firewalls that worked probably 10, 15 years ago. That doesn't work now. We're focusing on firewalls, but keeping people out of our perimeter. Um, and we're focusing on antivirus. Antivirus software, while a necessity and important, isn't that effective. It doesn't stop most attacks. Because most of it focuses on what's happened in the past as opposed to what's happening right now. Mm, um, mm. And firewalls, you know, assuming that we keep people out of our, out of our castle... The problem is we're putting our information up into the cloud, into other people's castles, or we're inviting people through by sending me an email full of malware. Um, <laughs> and again, we let people through the castle door. Um, so it was interesting, you know. We're seeing breaches increasingly common in New Zealand because our defences aren't that effective. And really, it's not a matter of, you know, uh, if something will happen, if you have a breach. It's more a matter of when. So again, organisations aren't necessarily... Um, set up to respond to it if there is an incident. Um, so it, it is a challenge. But, 
you know, this breach was fairly typical. Now, luckily, because we were already in the company, we were hunting around for threats and what was happening. Um, we closed it down in about three minutes of it occurring. Uh, the average time in New Zealand from someone having been breached to discovered it is, is over a year. Um, some statistics released recently, I don't know who it was, said Oceania, uh, over a year. Um, other parts of the world, that's you know, a, that's 260 a longer, days. That's a longer end of things, isn't it? It, it is. Look, yeah. and if you're missing money, you probably know about it pretty quick. <laughs> but if you're missing intellectual property or personal information or health records or other quite sensitive, valuable stuff, a year's a long time. Mm. Well, three three minutes is uh, is is very pleasing. Although, of course, you know the aim is to is to not be hit. But a, a, as you say, it's it's usually uh, you know these days we need to consider cybersecurity situations. It's not you know if you're going to get hit, it's it, it's when most organisations are going to get hit in in some form at least once. Um, yeah, I'm looking at a, a couple of situations. Uh, you know that my team have been involved in. There was one for a, a sort of mid-sized firm uh, last year. We got called in to do an audit, and uh, one of the things that was disclosed during that process was they had been hit um, with uh, malware on I think three or a num- number of different number of different occasions that had basically led to ransomware situations and so yeah i'm pretty sure that there were uh, there were they had three separate incidences and they hadn't been able to lock lock down so basically they were they were just a sort of sitting duck for that to keep happening yeah, and unfortunately ransomware is very common and new zealand's frequently targeted because it works you know so if i get money out of a country i'm going to keep targeting that country mm. because mm. we're very trusting mm. we're a very trusting mm. culture Naive sometimes, um, and that's that that balance. Where do you sit? You know, what's trust based upon? Yeah. Um, yeah. But ransomware is still hitting organisations and is crippling them because some of them don't even have simple things such as backups. Well, and the and the impact, even if you do, the impact of being you know down for yeah, maybe it's it's going to take you a day or two to get everything back to where you were. What's the impact? What's the reputational when you can't reply to customers or you've got important business that needs to be done? Uh, you know that 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 it's in itself can be crippling too, right? And I think in, you know in this in this case, you know, they were able to get back to backups, but you know th- potentially you've got a level of data loss because you've moved back a, a period of the backups and so on. Um, but you know on the on the flip side, since our team have got involved, we've been able to help them, and they haven't had any since. We're still you know it's always a journey because you you never you know you never reach the the destination of perfection from a cybersecurity perspective right there's always uh, things to be doing and whether it's the uh, you know improving your training whether it's the technologies and and you know the threats change every day um, but you know we know they're in a much much better state than than what they were and then we had uh, we had one last week where we got called in by a company and uh, they had got hit with a, a, a threat that had come in um, and they, you know, they'd, they'd missed recognising the signs and um, it caused some quite big um, reputational damage for them and we were to go, able to go and analyse what, you know, what, what had happened. A very small business, so you know, I guess you're more dealing at the probably the bigger end of, uh, oh, look, of, of town. But, well, we uh, do the very small to the very okay, large. Yeah. Um, and look, the, the, you know, the two examples given are quite common. Yeah. And in reality, to reduce significantly a lot, to reduce, to reduce your risk significantly, isn't a lot of effort. 
So, you know, CERT-NZ, CERT New Zealand, um, mm. which is a government body set up maybe about a year or so ago now to help New Zealand respond to incidents, help educate about us. They published two or three months ago their top 10 list of controls that would reduce the risk significantly for most people, um, certainly for most businesses. And the things that most small businesses can do with a little bit of effort um, and most business businesses can do quite easily – Yet I've not seen an organisation yet's got these top ten controls in place. It's a good, you know, it's a starting point because unfortunately in the security world we get led by vendors too often about what we should buy, or what our need is, or you know, we don't understand our risk, but we're told we need that new fancy toy. Again, I can't understand the toys and the needs for it. Um, but the, you know, these top ten by a certain Z would go a long way to reduce the risk. Yeah, and. I mean, my experience with with Gorilla, we'll often go into get yeah, call into firms to you know, do an audit of what their you know their technology is like from varying perspectives. Maybe they've got particular issues. Maybe uh, you know they're they're wanting to you know, change who they're working with. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of reasons. But when we do those things, we generally find a very very poor. Yeah, cybersecurity practices, and you know, across numerous areas, which is 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 disappointing that we're at we're at that level. And I would say, you know, it's probably amongst our listeners, we've probably got a you know pretty good state because they tend to be people that are interested in keeping up to date, keeping things secure. Uh, but in general, across you know New Zealand, I think it's fair to say that our our standards are, are pretty poor from a cybersecurity perspective. They are. I think organisations make mistakes sometimes that. Um, just because somebody knows about IT, they know about security. So just because they've got a really good uh, company supporting their IT environment, that those guys are just around security. And that's not the answer. Well, that's not always the case. It may well be. Um, but it's a specialist area, and it's, a, it's an area you're spending a lot of time keeping up to date with a lot of latest threats, latest ways to mitigate it. And that's not something that you know many companies, many IT companies have the – Ability to, and it comes down to, you know, they, they probably love to, but trying to find people and trying to find the time to do that is hard. So, you know, the assumption just because someone knows IT means they know security isn't always true. And unfortunately, people find out often too late that it wasn't the case. Yeah, there are varying levels of that. And, it, you know, it's, it's uh, and one of the common things we come across as uh, the website of security. And, uh, you know, a firm will say, oh, well, we've, you know, we've got a design, we've got a, you know, branding agency or a design firm. They look after our website. That's It's all good. And, uh, you know, you think, hmm, you know, what's going to be the cybersecurity skill set in a branding agency who's responsible for designing, hosting and maintaining and patching, a, you know, a website? So um, there's probably, you know, some and maybe amongst, you know, some of our listeners who know, you know people that are in that space that are very switched on and very capable. But I would say that, you know, most most situations, the, uh, the level isn't as as robust as as what it could be fortunately you know our, our platforms keep improving and you know hosting vendors and so on they know how important it is to keep this stuff tight so um you know our average from some of those vendors is, is better than what we used to have uh products like wordpress that uh you know sort of auto patch themselves to a to a degree helps but uh um, they're, they're all risk points, aren't they? They are, and life's all about risk. You know, there's no such thing as being safe, um, but to be able to make you know, the right calls, get the right information, and make a judgment call about you know where's right for me, and it's not easy. No. Hmm. So, 
who are the you you work with quite a broad range of clients. So what um, what sort of clients? You know, what are the scenarios where people would get in touch with with you, for instance? Uh, look, look. Sometimes they just want to test their security, understand you know how good is it? Is a kick of the tires? Let's just validate that it is okay, or let's get a fresh set of eyes in. So we do a lot of work around that, and that can be anything from a, a website to a new application to some sort of business process. So a lot, a lot of testing security. Um, a lot of we're about to embark on a project, and you know this project means a lot, and the money we spend on it means a lot. So let's get security right from up front. So we'll help them design the requirements um, and test it as they go through and design security into the system so it's not an afterthought. Trying to build in security as an afterthought later on, hard. Or we might be sitting in a, a governance management lens where I might sit as a, or one of the other team members might sit as an independent sounding body just to bring in that specialist. I can't afford a, a full-time chief information security officer, so we act as a part-time or an on-demand one for organisations. Um, there's incidents, like you said, where something's gone wrong and we come in and we try and, and minimise the impact and that, that's never nice it gets that far. Um, and when we do other sorts of investigations as well where someone's misused the computer systems or whatever it may be. Um, so a lot of, lot of designing security into systems and processes and a lot of finding and fixing it. So it keeps our team busy. Um, and I think yeah, our team's growing by say 27, 28% this year already and the year's only halfway through wow. um, so there's no slowdown ahead but it, it is a skill that's short globally mm, mm, um, mm. but it's a fun place to be yeah cool alright well great to have you back on the show Philip no, thank you for having me excellent now if people want to get in touch what's the, what's the best way look at you hop on Twitter so it's uh, KPMGNZ underscore cyber um, you hopped on LinkedIn you look for me Philip Whitmore or again, you search for KPMG Cybersecurity, you'll find a, a separate page there. Um, email me, pwhitmore at kpmg.co.nz. I'm not that hard to track down. Excellent, excellent. Oh, that's good. And uh, listeners can track me down. <coughs> um, you can find me on as Paul Spain on Twitter, Facebook, and, and LinkedIn. Uh, if you want to watch the videos, we're now, most episodes now, we're tending to actually uh, uh, do a live stream on Facebook of the New Zealand Tech Podcast. So if you're wondering, you know, who are the faces behind the show? Uh, some, some of you, uh, some of you watching, uh, watching now, um, then, you know, you're welcome to, uh, to catch that. Most weeks we're tending to record on a Tuesday afternoon or we'll stream on a Tuesday afternoon about 5 p.m. So if you, if you do want to catch those uh, uh, live streams, you'll get a jump on everyone else who's, yeah, probably likely to be listening in. Um, on their commute on a Wednesday morning, or you know some other uh, some other uh, convenient time. So yeah, welcome to connect with me on uh, on those uh, channels. All right, well that's it for this week. We'll catch you again uh, next week. Nothing to announce yet in terms of what to expect over the next couple of weeks, but I will be travelling, so uh, you can expect something a, a, a little bit different over the next uh, next fortnight. All right, thanks everyone. Catch you next week. See hey, ya. Thanks a lot. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.